the 550 Studios, Jim Lyons, the elephant in the room, the official podcast of the Mass GOP. Well, Mr. Lyons, the one-party rule stuck it to the taxpayers again today, and we're on the we've got on the phone Representative Mark Lombardo to talk about how the one-party system, better known as the radical left, stuck it to the taxpayers today by not wanting to waive the gas tax. Yeah, Mark, this is a, just another um, slap in the face to the people of Massachusetts. Why don't you give our folks uh, a little background on just what took place today, not only with that particular vote, but what else is going on? Yeah, happy to, Jim. So as per usual with the budget process uh, for the House, they tend to uh, start with items of taxes and tax relief uh, almost as to get them out of the way, uh, to dismiss them as fast as possible, and then go on uh, to spend money for for the Commonwealth. Uh, this year was no different, and we started with a number of amendments. And you know, really want to uh, thank my colleague Nick Baldiga for filing a number of these, uh, including uh, gas tax relief, uh, and there was also a few different versions of those filed by other GOP caucus members. Uh, a two-month suspension was one of the ones that we voted on today that failed. Uh, we voted on uh, a amendment that would raise the uh, estate tax limit to up to $2 million before estate taxes would kick in. Uh, and we also voted for tax relief um, and, and for our farmers um, in, in the form of a, a diesel fuel rebate program. So you have to prove that you're, that you're a farmer and your status and that you're using uh, the the uh, diesel fuel, but certainly we're hearing from farmers that they are hurting, they're suffering, they're trying to produce food, they're having challenges, and we're trying to give some relief to those uh, folks as well. All three uh, went down essentially on party lines. There was a couple of Democrats that joined uh, the GOP, but essentially party lines, um, and, and and they went down uh, pretty quickly uh, with the, with a consistent argument of not yet, not the right time. We're going to take up potential tax relief later on, but we just don't want to do it now, uh, which likely means they'll never do it. Uh, but they didn't even want to have the discussion, and um, and they really put a, a stop to uh, giving relief to the taxpayers at a time when the Commonwealth is swimming in cash, uh, between 2 and $3 billion in excess revenue this year already with many months to go. Uh, it really is the time to give some relief, and unfortunately, um, the Democratic leadership uh, felt it wasn't time to do so. So, Mark, you remember uh, years ago when uh, you were one of the leaders on the uh, immigration spending on the budget, $1.8 billion. And since that time, what's happened is the budget has gone up and there's still no accountability to illegal immigration. With the, the border problem that we're having and all the folks that are you know coming into this country, how do you see that impacting our budget and spending uh, going forward? Well, Jim, I have no doubt that that number has dramat- dramatically risen uh, since the time that you and I um, worked on those issues together. We're easily over two uh, $2 billion in, in, in spending on benefits for illegal immigrants in the Commonwealth. And we know, uh, given the bleeding border and, and relocation to sanctuary cities throughout the country, where Massachusetts has many of those, uh, that we are a magnet for illegal immigrants. And uh, the cost of providing services has gone up in all areas of life, 
uh, for both legal and um, illegal immigrants. And so, you know, it's, it's only natural that we'd assume that that number in the budget is jumping dramatically. The exact number we don't know, um, but it has continued to climb. You know, the, the problem is that on Beacon Hill, uh, there's no desire to put any, any safety valves and, and checks on who truly qualifies for benefits before we give them out. Uh, we've tried to use the, the federal state system uh, to be able to do verification for uh, benefits before uh, being received. That has been rejected time and time again. And so there just continues to be no accountability and increased spending when it comes to uh, issues where, with um, illegal immigration in the Commonwealth. And unfortunately, it starts with the federal government and the, and the White House uh, opening up those borders. And, and certainly, if you look at the headlines today, um, you know, taking away some of those restrictions uh, around illegal immigration is really going to open up the border and potentially double the stream of illegal immigrants daily. But that only means bad things for Massachusetts as, as, you know, essentially as a magnet state for illegal immigrants. Mark, not only are you a state rep and, you know, you're tuned to the budget and we've talked about the surplus, but you're also a parent. So education has to be a key priority for you right now. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm a parent of uh, a teenager and a, and a preteen. Um, and, you know, I'm watching pretty regularly uh, things around education that will affect our, our students. One that has got me uh, very much alarmed right now uh, is a bill that's being backed by and championed by Rep O'Day, and, and he has uh, championed this bill for quite a quite a while now, and it actually got some traction. Finally passed in the Senate, um, and what it is is an updating of the um, sex education curriculum and framework in the Commonwealth. Now, while that sounds innocent enough uh, on its face value, what is really misleading about it is that this framework is based on um, a curriculum created by Planned Parenthood of Massachusetts and Planned Parenthood uh, has really influenced the documents and the, and the curriculum that's being taught. And unfortunately, this isn't just a, a biology discussion of, uh, of what procreation is amongst human beings and what um, the science around uh, the, the body is. Uh, this really has turned into a how-to document uh, and really promoting sexuality amongst uh, children as young as 10, 11 years old in the classroom. Um, it is very, very graphic material. Uh, it is stunning to think that any person would want to teach this stuff to children. Um, and uh, quite frankly, it's one of the most harmful pieces of legislation that I've ever seen on Beacon Hill in the last decade. Mark, I... I I want to remind everybody who's listening that you were fighting this battle long before it got to where it is today. I remember sitting in the legislature with you when Planned Parenthood and Representative O'Day tried to bring this forward, you know, probably six, six or eight years ago. And I was sitting there and you said, I'm going to go down to the floor of the house and I'm going to read this into the record. Why don't you tell the folks uh, what happened then, Mark? Well, Jim, there's just a refusal to even want to hear the materials and what is in this curriculum. In fact, Jim, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to take to the floor of the house and I'm going to bring forward the curriculum that they think is appropriate for 10 and 11 year olds in the Commonwealth. And I promise you there will be shock throughout the chamber. I will probably be silenced again because the material is so inappropriate and so graphic. And I even hate to talk about it here on the podcast, but 
but just to give you a sense of what we're teaching our kids, um, you know, we're teaching children in this material that abstinence includes such sex acts as mouth to anus oral sex. That is something that these folks, these radical left, believe is appropriate for our 10 and 11 year olds to learn in school as an abstinence program. They're teaching kids that saran wrap can be used as contraception. I mean, this is going far beyond um, the, the science of uh, procreation, and it is a how-to of the most graphic and vile things that we would teach our kids. This isn't appropriate for seniors in high school, never mind is it appropriate for our young kids. And quite frankly, at the heart of the matter, as the discussions around uh, sexual activity are ones that belong between parents and their children, and their doctors and parents and their children. And it's not for educators to be teaching this. It is not for bureaucrats and Planned Parenthood to be uh, teaching our kids how-tos uh, of sexual activity uh, at such a young age uh, to promote sexual activity in, in, throughout the Commonwealth. It is absolutely vile. It is absolutely disgusting. And that just scratches the surface of what's in this material, Jim. So, Mark, another thing that I see in some of our schools that I just want you to kind of touch on a little bit is um, this idea that they should be teaching third and fourth graders gender transition. How crazy is that, Mark? Well, Jim, in the Commonwealth, as we know, that if a parent wanted to even have conversations with a therapist and their child around these topics and maybe a dissuasion of following down one of these paths of transition at such a young age, that doctor can now go to jail and lose their license, right? So we know that the Commonwealth has taken a very extreme position on making sure that they promote wokeness uh, and, and gender fluidity amongst our children. Look, I'm around young children all the time. We have many young children in our family. Uh, I can tell you that I have a lot of nieces and nephews who are of the elementary school age. The last thing on their mind is gender fluidity, the gender in general. Okay, they're worried about Paw Patrol and, you know, uh, playing outside on the sidewalk with chalk. They're not looking to have themselves questioning whether, this, wait, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl, I can choose. Um, this is what the radical left in this country is doing. They are trying to indoctrinate our children. Uh, and, and the irony of it all, Jim, is all I hear uh, throughout the COVID discussions and, and conversations around climate change is follow the science, right? Follow the science. But when it comes to understanding that there is male humans and female humans, we don't want to follow the science anymore. This is one of the most absurd things that I've seen uh, develop across this nation and in the Commonwealth for a long time. Let children be children. Stop adults from imposing their sexuality, their desire to talk about sexual activity on children, stop grooming our young children and let them be kids. Uh, it is it is truly uh, appalling times that we're seeing right now. Mark, you know, the election's coming up in November. It's an important election. Jim Lyons has been working himself to the bone, trying to get candidates uh, and like-minded candidates to join the mass GOP and run and help you up on Beacon Hill we talked about Planned Parenthood. If you do a quick Google search of Maura Healy, the presumptive favorite to be our next governor, as the media has already made her our next governor, 
even though we have two good candidates running on the mass GOP ticket. This is going to become a very big, big topic. And Maura Healy's ties with Planned Parenthood are going to have downhill effects on education. So why is it important for you to get more like-minded people sitting with you inside that chamber? And so, you know, the general public doesn't really understand what, you know, what goes on. But if you got enough people elected in this election cycle to push back on a governor's veto or sustain a governor's veto, how would that make your job in Massachusetts better? Well, certainly when you have a, a Republican governor and has the ability to have a legislature sustain their veto, it is game changing. It means that the Democrats on Beacon Hill actually have to work with Republicans to find some balance in the legislation that they propose. All right, so we're, we're, what you're talking about, and just for some translations to the listeners, it's not about necessarily even gaining a majority in the House, which would be wonderful to find some balance, but we're talking about enough to sustain a veto. And, and what that means is that radical legislation fundamentally has to change. You have to come to the middle. You have to find common ground. And right now, you have a supermajority in the House and a supermajority in the Senate where the Democratic leaders can do anything they want whenever they want. And if something comes to the floor, it has already been decided whether it's going to pass. And so what's important for the listeners to think about is that they, if they truly want change, if they want to be you know, fundamental in changing the path of the Commonwealth, they should either think about running for office uh, to bring some balance, if not support Republican candidates that can bring a balance to the conversation in the Commonwealth. Right now, we don't have a balance. We don't have a conversation. We have one side dictating to the other. And things are only going to go down uh, a, a worse path, path if we continue on this. We're going to have, we have legislators in the House of Representatives here in the Commonwealth that make AOC look like a century. And it's only going to get worse until we get some balance. That we can put the brakes on some of these radical things like teaching our kids about oral sex uh, as 10-year-olds in, in, in public education. These are the radical things the left is going to do. The ability to stop that, stop the extremes, and start to think about how we can give back to our communities, support our public safety officers, our police, our fire, build better roads, build better bridges, and stop uh, raising taxes on, on hardworking families. That's the conversation we need to get back to. Those are the things we need to focus on, and those things aren't being at the forefront in the Commonwealth right now because it's really a one-sided conversation with your majority Democrats. Republicans need some balance to bring a meaningful conversations to the floor. Mark, you brought up public safety. Um, the radical crazies on the left, you know, we see this, um, this mayor of the city of Boston, uh, Mayor Wu, and, you know, trying to completely change public safety. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the movement to defund the police on, on Beacon Hill. Yeah, well, this legislature uh, from, from the prior session passed uh, a, a police reform bill, that's, as they call it, uh, that really has had already a devastating effect on community policing in the Commonwealth. I voted against that bill because it was really started with the premise that our police officers are bad. That was the premise on Beacon Hill and the liberals up on, up on, uh, liberal Democrats on Beacon Hill, that our cops are all racist, that our cops are all bad, and that they're purposely hurting people in our community. So when that is the premise of your legislation, you know that the product is going to be bad and have harmful effects, and it has. 
the the post uh, the post oversight the police oversight board was created with very little input from actual police officers uh, that would set standards for training uh, and and um, community policing throughout the Commonwealth. Well, one of the things that has done already has made it so essentially our, our auxiliary police officers, our special police officers, these are the men and women that um, are, are able to do some policing in a part-time and assistive manner to communities to help with special events, to help when details get overwhelmed, to be able to show up early in the morning or in the evening when there's a shortage on the, on the force. They're able to make a substantial impact, particularly for smaller communities out west, but even in communities like mine in Balrica, because of the outrageous training requirements and no credit for service already uh, done in the field, we're essentially losing um, dozens of auxiliary police officers in the town of Balrica. These folks have made such an impact in our community at such value, and they're going to be gone because Post doesn't care. They don't use common sense. They just think police officers are bad and therefore need you know, a bajillion hours of training so that maybe they can figure out how to be nice people. That's what they, the Democrats in Beacon Hill have done. And we see the mayor of Boston now redistributing money out of, out of uh, the police um, and, and into other areas of their budget. The attack on the police officers uh, throughout the uh, state and throughout the country uh, is really one of the most appalling things that I've seen the left lead uh, in my lifetime. Our police officers are good people. They work hard. They protect our community every day. Uh, and we need to support them. And, uh, and I'm certainly hoping we can get some candidates elected in the fall that will continue to want to support our public safety officers. Mark, how long have you been up on Beacon Hill now? I'm in my 12th year this year. Twelve. So 12 years, so a, a good amount of time. In the last couple years, is it my imagination or is just Massachusetts and the legislature even got more woke than even before? Unfortunately, it's not your imagination. It is getting worse and worse. Ironically, though, I don't think the general public in Massachusetts is. And so what I think you're seeing is a massive divergence from what the will of the people is uh, and the common sense that normal people live their lives with every day in the, in the role of what they want in government and then what you actually see in action. Because you have these radicals that get elected through, the, through these primaries and they get elected and um, sometimes they walk in without uh, a contest and they come in and they start to fundamentally change the conversations on Beacon Hill. Not about how do we get more money for roads and bridges, not about how we make our communities uh, safer and, uh, and, and, and invest in, um, in, in beautiful buildings and for our seniors and for our uh, education for our kids, but instead we're talking about teaching gender fluidity to third graders. We, we, we're we're uh, taking such a dive to the left. Um, you know, every everything up on Beacon Hill now has the word justice in it. You know, climate justice. Everything's racist now when you deal, deal with a bill on Beacon Hill. Um, this is what we've we've brought to the table, um, and it is a it's it's really moving in a very bad direction for uh, for the taxpayers and for. Uh, families uh, and parents throughout the Commonwealth. Hey, Mark, I just want to thank you for, uh, first of all, getting on the show with us today. You're certainly going to open a lot of eyes, I think, with our audience. And and I also want to thank you for your uh, steadfast uh, support for uh, the people of Massachusetts and in your constituency. We need fighters like you, and you are certainly one of the top fighters on Beacon Hill. So I want to say thank you. I'm going to 
Turn it back over to John. Mark Lombardo, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks, thanks for being the voice of common sense up on Beacon Hill. He's Jim Lyons, the elephant in the room. God bless America, God bless Massachusetts, and God bless the Mass GOP. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>